good to be with you. Uh, I think uh, Debbie grabbed, the, grabbed that mic and went right for it when she said, thank you, and, and she's absolutely right. And Tim, you really made us feel at home today because uh, when we're in the Ethiopian churches, that is often how they pray for people is they reach out their hands. So they like their Old Testament heritage, and I thank, thank you for pulling that in tonight. I'm going to, yeah, but, you know, one of the things that you do as a, as a couple is you often take your spouse and show them the places of your childhood. Well, Easton, Pennsylvania is a place of my childhood. And so I brought Debbie here years and years ago, and I said, let's just see if the church where my father pastored, if we can get inside and see it, and see the parsonage where I lived for six years, which happens to be at 411 March Street. And uh, we got in to see that, and they not only did that, they asked us to preach, they asked us to speak, and from that, the church has been supporting us ever since. So I grew up. Six of my years, my first schooling experience was up on College Hill from 200 Porter Street, which is part of Cornerstone Church. But anyway, it's really good to be here. Thank you. So I think what, the best way to start is always with the scriptures, and I'd like to start with that. Romans chapter 12, we're going to start with verse 9, and we're going to go to the end of the chapter. Let love be genuine, hate what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with mutual affection, outdo one another in showing honor. Do not lag in zeal, be ardent in spirit, serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope, be patient in suffering, persevere in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints, extend hospitality to strangers. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Do not claim to be wiser than you are. Do not repay anyone evil for evil, but take thought for what is noble in the sight of all. If it is possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. No, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. For by doing this, you will heap burning coals on their heads. Do not, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful that uh, we get to gather around your word. We thank you that it is here for us today. It has been with us through this year. It's been with us through the centuries. It's been with us through the generations. Thank you that it's with us in a new way tonight. And we pray that indeed that word would become living and true for us tonight, this day. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So Debbie and I have been, as you've heard, uh, 25 years in Ethiopia, which is in the northeast corner of Africa. We have raised four kids, and uh, in a couple weeks, our last one will be graduating from college, and when she graduates from college, we will be officially fully empty nesters. And we're expecting to go back to Ethiopia in May after that graduation. And let me tell you, of all the things that could be hard in being uh, across over the ocean, it's leaving those kids behind 
that is the hardest thing that we've ever done. And so please pray for us because we are feeling deeply this separation. But I think about what our Lord did when he left his father. Now, 25 years ago, I felt that from that side. I was leaving my father. I was leaving my mother. Debbie was leaving her parents when we went. Now it's the other way. Our kids are here, and we're leaving for Ethiopia again. I want to give you a little picture of what our living situation is like in Ethiopia. We don't live in a grass house, but we do live in a mud hut. I say it's a hut, but it has a mud wall, and it has a tin roof, and it has no electricity, and it has no plumbing. <clears throat> and it's a house that we purposely built that way. We were living in a place that had electricity. It had running water. It had hot water. And we chose to give it up. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> a couple reasons why we chose to do that. We had a uh, family coming. Our kids were moving out. We had a family coming with their four children. And we gave that house to them. But the other thing we realized was that as we were living in our house made of cement block, uh, that our neighbors who all live around us in grass houses or tin, tin roofed houses with mud floors without any of the conveniences that most of us know, they were not necessarily comfortable in our home. And so Debbie and I, at this stage in our life, thought, let us try and experiment. Let's try and build something that looks a little bit more like our neighbors. And so we decided to set out and build such a, such a place that's not quite like most of our neighbors, but that we could live in semi-Western. So we set out to do that. <clears throat> now, our neighbors around us don't understand us. We're very different from them in every way possible. The, the, our neighborhood is 100% Ethiopian Orthodox. And when you think about what an Orthodox is like in Ethiopia, most of us think of Greek Orthodox. We think of Russian Orthodox, Ukrainian Orthodox. Ethiopian Orthodoxy came to Ethiopia in the 300s, as in century one, two, and three. That's how long Christianity has been in Ethiopia. We're the newcomers on the block. And so there, there are 100% of our neighbors are Ethiopian Orthodox. And if you think about Orthodoxy and if you think um, uh, Emphasis on Mary, emphasis on saints, emphasis on angels, emphasis on mystery. That, that's exactly right. And uh, in our, so, but our goal as, as missionaries is not to make Protestants. Our goal is not to bring them out of the Orthodox Church. Our, our goal is what Jesus Christ told us to do, which was make disciples that obey everything I have commanded. So that's what our goal is. So we work hard to bring discipleship into our Orthodox community. And like we've already said, so we, we have an agricultural work. That's our way into that community. So when we first went there, um, people did not know what an apple was or a pear or a plum. And we are in a cool, high, high. We live in the mountains where it's high. We're 8,300 feet. So think Denver and then 3,000 feet. So we're high. So we're actually cool. People typically think that we're in a hot place in Ethiopia, but it's actually cool where we are. Uh, and so that's what we've done. We've introduced apples 
and we've introduced pear, and we've introduced plum, and they've become a significant part of their economy, but that has opened doors for us. We've become somewhat an accepted outsider in that community, and it's enabled us to have influence in people's lives from the Word of God, which is a big deal for us. That's what we're there for. This uh, passage that I've just read for you, two of these verses that I've read, the first one and the last one, have been very meaningful for Debbie and I in this past uh, term. Let love be genuine, hate what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with mutual affection. This verse in our household came to be known as the, the love-hate sandwich because it's love, hate, love. Let me read it to you again. Let love be genuine, hate what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with mutual affection. I realized when we started looking at that verse, if I say that I love Debbie and I don't hate the things that are out to steal from her her joy, the things that are out to harm her, the things that are out there to really bring her down, if I don't hate the evil that tries to, to attack her from within or from without, I'm not really loving her. The same with the people that we live among. We say we love them, but if we don't hate the things that are bringing down the people we love among, that we live among, do we really love them? This for me was transformative in the way I started thinking about, you know, we really need to pay attention to this age-old struggle of good and evil and what our response is to it. The last verse, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. <clears throat> the hating of evil is not the hating of people who have evil in their lives, but rather the evil which is harming them. And so this is very clearly, Paul, when he wrote Romans, was very clearly jumping off of what Jesus said when he said, turn the other cheek. Uh, the, the many scriptures about blessing and don't, don't, uh, not cursing your enemies. I mean, it, there's, a, there's a quote in here from an, another part of the scriptures. If your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil for good. I'm just going to tell you a story. Most of this time is going to be one story, and we're going to jump in and out of the scriptures as I talk about that story. And I'd spend a little bit of time about talking about our house because this story is going to be about our house. But not really about the house, but it's about the people involved in this house when we set out to build it. We looked around for a place that we could do it, and we, we chose a place, and we negotiated with the landlord a price. The way we do it in, in Ethiopia is we took out a long-term lease, a 25-year lease, and we paid up front the money right from the beginning. 25-year lease, here's the money, plunked it down. That land was ours. It still is ours for 25 years. That's the way we did it. We were all good to go. We made arrangements for someone to do the, build the mud structure. Uh, there was a, a man from Rhode Island who came over to make some of the modifications that we were going to need, uh, getting ready for a, a loft in our house and a cement floor and a porch and extra windows that they don't have in their houses around us. And we made all those arrangements and we left on home assignment. Now they got to the point and left the building process going. We got to the point 
where the house was being mudded. Uprights were there. They were throwing the mud on. They were starting to smooth it off. And uh, the landlord came with the police, and he said, stop. And he said, you are not given permission to build on this land. I gave it to you to have a farm, not to build a house. And I want money. I want twice what you gave me. And the police enforced that. And so the building stopped. And so it waited until we came back. So we came back, and we tried to go work through the African traditional conflict resolution thing of getting the elders together and trying to negotiate. And he brought his side, and we brought our side, and we had our legal documents and proof that we had paid. And it wasn't going anywhere. And we went to the government to see if we could get government involvement to see if that would help. And we weren't getting anyone there. And then we go back to the elders, and we're trying to struggle it. And we were just back and forth. And, and in the meantime, Debbie and I are living in a little one-room thing. And that was our life for a while, was struggling to get this done. And we said, what? what? This isn't what we're there for. One day, we were uh, having another one of these endless meetings. And it was outside. A lot of meetings are outside. We're sitting on a log with the elders, and we're discussing. Me and Chuckle. Chuckle was our adversary at the time. And uh, the elders of the community and Chuckle and I were sitting on this log, and we both were talking again, same, rehashing it. And the elders said, okay, you guys go away. We're going to talk. So Chuckle <clears throat> went first, and he found another log up the hill, sat down on it. So I wandered off. Well, I guess I'll go sit next to Chuckle. And Chuckle and I are sitting on that log, and neither one of us has a whole lot to say. Uh, we said something, but I don't remember what. Now, Debbie is on pins and needles wondering how this meeting's going. She says, I know. Mark's going to want water. So she brings me a bottle of water, and she starts walking across the street. She comes to where the elders are. And the elders see her coming, and they just say, yeah, he's up there. So she comes up towards us, and I see her coming, and I'm watching her. And suddenly, Debbie calls out, and she goes, Mark, look. And I turn around, and running, running down the, running pell-mell down the hill, through the, through the trees, coming, I knew it was going to pass me, but it was going, running straight towards Debbie was a cat. And when I say a cat, I'm talking about something about the size of a German shepherd, spotted. So we're talking about a wild African cat, and it's running towards my woman. But I was so caught up with the beauty of this thing, it didn't look like he was about to take anything out. <laughs> I was so caught up with the beauty of this thing, I wasn't afraid. I wasn't afraid for her. I should have been, but I wasn't. And this thing comes running down, and it gets close to Debbie, and then it veers off to the side and just runs on. Now, 25 years in Africa, we've never seen anything like that before. We've never seen anything like that since. This was a unique event. And if you talk to Debbie about it, and do so, she will tell you it was, it was a highlight of her time. Yes? Yeah. Just the beauty of this thing. But the interesting thing was that it became for us a very interesting, pivotal event. Because we and our co-workers started talking about it as a leopard. It wasn't a leopard. It was called, it's a uh, civet, not a civet. Huh? Serval. It's a serval cat. And uh, we started talking about it as a leopard, though. But it was a serval. And we started singing. There, there's a hymn. What's it? Um, it's uh, Jesus Paid It All. And, uh, you know, we thought, isn't there something in there about can the, who can change the leper's spots? Who can make the blind to see? 
You know, so we looked it up and we started singing it. And we looked it up and we're reading it and singing it. And we were disappointed because, you know why? It says, who can change the leper's spots? Not the leopard spots. But nevertheless, we kept singing and we kept praying. And we kind of started thinking about Chuckle. And can he change? Can a man like Chuckle change? But we tried to figure out where did, where, why are we thinking about leopard spots? Surely it's in the scriptures, right? So we looked it up. And sure it is. You know what it is? It's in Jeremiah. Jeremiah 13, 23. And when we looked it up, this is what it says. It does talk about can a leopard change his spots, but this is what it, the full, the full first half of the verse is this. Can an Ethiopian change his skin or a leopard its spots? Did that get our attention? You better believe it did. That got our attention big time. Can you change your skin? Any of us here? I mean, you know, we can go to a tanning salon or we can put on creams, but it's temporary, isn't it? And uh, if the creams aren't necessarily safe, you know, the thing, those treatments. But we started talking about that, and this became for us a big event because, you know, when in Ethiopia, where we were, um, Everyone has land issues. So people would come up to me and they'd slap me on the back. Hey, Mark, how's it going with Chuckle? Ha, 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 ha. How's it going with that old guy? Now, Chuckle has a reputation in the community as a, a violent drunk. Uh, his wife only has one eye. Um, there's just stories up and down. And I'll tell, you in the, I'll tell you one later about things that Chuckle has done. And I'd say... Chuckle, things with chuckle, they're this, 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 this. But, you know, can chuckle change? Can chuckle change? And that became a point for which we had discussions about the gospel. And for, for the Ethiopians, by and large, the answer was, no, a guy like chuckle could never change. And if what you're thinking is the end of the story is that I'm going to tell you about how chuckle became a great gospel carrier and he's a minister of God and he's got saved well that's not going to be the end of my story but just in the process of going about daily life we found a way to get the gospel into conversation and I think that those those opportunities are there sometimes and we miss them but this is how God brought it about for us um, the rest of that verse is something that, uh, you know, I've, I've shared with you already from, from Romans 12. Uh, you know, let love be genuine. Hate what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome with good, right? So how our response to evil is doing good. Well, let me read to you the uh, rest of that verse. Can an Ethiopian change his skin or a leopard its spots? Neither... Neither can you do good who are accustomed to doing evil. So what Jeremiah, what God was saying through Jeremiah at that time was that here was a people who were so accustomed to doing evil that they couldn't do good. Now fast forward a few centuries and you get Paul over here and he's saying, you know, overcome evil by doing good. But God had already been saying over here, how, how are you going to be able to do good? 
Now, the thing is, in this, in this uh, chapter that I've just been reading from, that's not the first chapter of Romans, obviously. And, the fir- and Romans, everything that goes forward in Romans, everything in the start of it is, you know, we're all sinners, you know? We've got this problem of sin, and we've got something that's got to be done, and we know what that answer was. That was Jesus Christ dying on the cross for our sins. We've identified with him. We identified with him as death. Because what we're not talking about is a change of the skin. We're talking about a change of the heart. And the only one who can do that is God. No. A leopard cannot change his spots. And I cannot change my heart to do good. But God can. So what Jeremiah said was, Neither can you do good who are accustomed to doing evil. Neither can I do good of my own strength. Here's me going to Ethiopia. Here's me thinking I've got something to give these people, right? Here I am. I'm, here I'm trying to do good and, in, and what, what comes in the way? My pride, right? It gets in the way. You know, what do I have to offer these people? The gospel's been in some form in Ethiopia for, I don't know, what's that, uh, 1,700 years? What, who am I when my pride gets in the way, even when we're trying to do good? Paul, he said just a couple chapters before, for I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do. This I keep on going, keep on doing. Paul also said in Galatians, the acts of the flesh are obvious. This is right before the fruit of the Spirit. We love the fruit of the Spirit. Peace, joy, joy, peace, uh, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, all that stuff. But the acts of the flesh, that one we don't like to think too much about. Sexual immorality. The acts of the flesh are obvious. I'm quoting from Galatians. Acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. You know, I, th- I think that uh, too much as Christians, we, we like to focus on the beginning and the end parts of that. Yeah, sexual immorality, orgies and drunkenness, I, I put that stuff away. But it's the stuff in the middle, you know, the, the hatred and the discord, you know, we let that creep in, you know, dissension. You know, have I been parts of dissension in, in churches or am I parts of uh, bodies where I feel this way and I know they feel that way and I'm not quite accepting of them? You know, those kinds of things, they're right there. Factions and envy, fits of rage. The NRSV says anger. And, you know, I, I know that there, there, there's, there's words about righteous anger and Jesus took a whip into the temple. Anger. But here it is listed right here. You know, uh, James, your anger does not produce God's righteousness. Boy, you know what I do? Let me tell you, I hide behind being irritated with my anger. Irritated. I'll tell that, well, that irritates me. And she'll say, yeah, yeah, you're angry, you know. James tells us your anger does not produce God's righteousness. I cannot overcome evil with good born out of my own strength. 25 years, I've, I've proven that. 
Yes, God has done good things, but it's always been God every, every, every step of that way. There is no room for you and I to have pride. And that's what, that's what Paul talks about right in here, about uh, having a, you know, live, uh, do not be haughty, right? There's no room for us to have to come across doing those good works as if we are somebody, right? We can. We can overcome evil with good. But boy, we've sure got to do it with humility because that's the only way it's going to happen. So God, God did allow us to build that building. We moved in. Um, we, we've been in it for two years, and we love it. It, had to, it took the government getting involved and the government forcefully stopping Chuckle from coming and stopping us again. He, up until recently, was still from time to time, he'd throw stones when he'd go past, and he is our neighbor. And uh, it was, there's been some difficult times. He continued to be our enemy in some ways. We finished building. We moved in. Now, about six months ago, maybe a little longer, seven or eight months, Chuck Ole, again, got himself in trouble, and he beat his father up. So his father is, I don't know, mid-80s, do you think, Debbie? Mid-70s. But his father uh, had been with a, his wife for 60 years. They married young in that era in Ethiopia. He'd been with his wife for 60 years, and he put her aside to marry a younger thing. It was terrible. I really don't blame Chekhov for what he did. But he, um, his father had to be hospitalized for what he did. Chuckle was sent to prison. Now, I knew what I had to do. There's just too much in the scriptures, even the scriptures that I just read. What, you know, do not pay anyone evil for evil. Do not take revenge. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. And Jesus, you know the stories, uh, one of the parables about Jesus, but, uh, that, that Jesus talked about. You know, the sheep and the goats, right? And he's separating them, and he says to the, to the goats, you know, depart and go away from me. And uh, they said, why? And they said, well, when I was hungry, you didn't feed me. When I was thirsty, you didn't give me something to drink. You didn't visit me in prison. You didn't visit me, you didn't visit me when I was sick. You didn't give me clothing when I needed it. And uh, the sheep says, enter into your rest. Uh, you clothed me. You fed me. You visited me when I was sick. You visited me when I was in prison. And they said, when did we do that? And they said, when? he said, what? When I've done it to the least of these, you've done it to me. I knew I had to go visit Chuckle in prison. There was just no choice. That was what God was asking me to do. Now, the idea of going into an Ethiopian prison did not thrill me. The idea of going and visiting Chuckle was not something that just come naturally to me. But it was something I knew I had to do. And I put it off, and I put it off. But there came a time when we were about to leave for the capital the next day, and I, I, Debbie, I just got to do this. I don't have time, but I just got to go see this guy in prison. And uh, I took our, our, our closest co-worker, Tafara, who's been with us for about 18 years, and, and he and I went in there together. Tafara, I wish I had time to tell you, he's a wonderful man. God has granted him a gift of evangelism. And he and I went in together, and uh, we found him, and we found the builder of our other house, who was a contractor, and you... 
actually in that town where, where the prison was, those two would represent the top and the bottom of the social order. The contractor who built our first house was fairly wealthy, and even in, and, and in the Ethiopian prisons, they don't give you very much food. And so family, they're dependent on family to supplement what is brought in. Uh, so guy, he was still managed to have quite a paunch. He was wealthy. People brought him food. Our chuckle, though, is at the bottom of the pecking order. And he was thin in that prison. Tafet and I came in. We met with both men. We talked to them. We didn't talk about much. We talked about things like what the conditions were like and the, the plumbing in the town had gone out. And so everyone was dependent on paying from prisoners, paying from their own pockets to... Uh, hire people to bring water from the stream on donkeys' backs. That was the conditions. So we said, okay, and we gave each of them a little bit uh, and then of money, and then we offered a promise to come back and bring water with him next time. And we left. That was it. We got to Addis, Debbie and I, and we heard from Tafara that he had gone back in as he'd promised, and he'd taken them both water, and uh, the conversation went a little different this time. This time... It's a guy, the wealthier guy, was saying to Chuckle, our landlord, what did you do to these guys? Why were you opposing these? You shouldn't have been doing this because you know these guys are real Christians. And the conversation went around, and, and the conversation came to the point where Chuckle was asking about, is there something in the scripture about visiting people in prison? And Tafara, I mean, Ethiopia is modernizing. Tafara pulled out his smartphone and was able to find the scripture about, as you've done to the least of these, you've done to me, and about a visiting in prison. And there it was, the scripture opportunity, the gospel opportunity. And Tafra took it as far as he could at that point. And so we were rejoicing that he had had that gospel opportunity. Didn't think too much about it. Just a week before we left Ethiopia to come here, and it was, and uh, I'd heard that Chuckle got left out of prison. Ran into, two days before we came to America, I ran into Chuckle on the road, and he, he, he was overjoyed to see me. I'd never had that kind of a response to meeting him on the road before. And he said, you've got to come to my house. You've got to come and eat. The day before, because the next day, was a holiday, a local holiday, not one that Ethiopia-wide celebrates, but locally they celebrate big time. This holiday, seven days from Christmas, they celebrate for some reason, this local Orthodox church celebrates the circumcision of Jesus. So I'm not quite sure what they're celebrating there, but that's what they do. And everybody, all the relatives come from a long way. And we were, Debbie and I, we were going from house to house to house to house. And about third in those houses was Chuckle's house. And we, it was a struggle kind of trying to get there. His house, because he has so many enemies, actually, he doesn't make his house easy to get to, even though it's close. But Debbie ended up having to go over an embankment that was about this high and had to be handed up, and I had to scramble up it too. We went in there, and we sat down in his house, and he was so joyed, uh, overjoyed to see us, and his daughter snuggled up against Debbie, and we realized she was a very bright little girl. And he, he brought out the plate of food, big one. That's how we, out of common plate, brought it out for Debbie and I. And like they do, he made a show 
of making sure that we knew he hadn't poisoned that food by taking it and eating it. They always do that. They always take the first bite, but he knew that we might be suspicious because he'd been our enemy for years. He did that, and then he said, I was wrong. What I did was wrong. And that is the first, he never said, I'm sorry, but he had come a long way. For an Ethiopian to go that far was a miracle. We left that house, and before we did, we found out how bright this little girl is. And when we go back, there's an open invitation now for Debbie to teach that little girl English. And I think we've got an opening now in that home. And there was nothing that brought it about except we simply went about our daily life and we did what the scriptures said. That's it. There wasn't any powerful uh, preaching by the missionary. There was just a simple, we are living life and we're doing what the scripture says. And that's really all I want to say in your life. Do what the scriptures say. Live your life. Look for those opportunities and the people around you. God will reward you with that. Um, you know, I had a lot of anxiety in coming to the States. The anxiety was we were sitting over in Ethiopia and we are looking from afar at this country. And you know, when you're not living here, this country some, somewhat feels unsteady when you look at it from afar. It just didn't feel like we were coming into a safe environment, I'll be honest. I didn't know what we were coming into. Ethiopia was politically unsettled, and it seemed like we were coming into a politically, socially unsettled environment here, and I was anxious about it. But you know, Debbie and I have the joy and the privilege, sometimes the burden, of going and visiting different churches around America, and we've been up and down the East Coast, and we've been out West, and we've, we've had a chance to talk to a lot of people. And I can say, I don't have that anxiety that I had before. And the reason is, I've come home now with these eyes of overcome evil with good. I've come home now with the lens of, let, let's do good in response to evil. That's it. Doing the, the good things we do has a spiritual impact. I know it does. It has in the past, and it will, and it does. So what I tell you from what I've seen, what I've observed around the country as we've traveled is that God has his army, his army of people who are like you, who are never going to be in the news because they're never going to be in any kind of trouble. They're not going to be in any kind of scandals, but they're very quietly visiting the poor in prison. They're visiting the sick. They're clothing those that have need. They're giving food where it's necessary. They're mourning with those who mourn. They're rejoicing with those who rejoice. And that's my encouragement to you. The good you do, because you are changed people, because Christ did for you what he did, he makes it possible for you to do good with a truly humble attitude. Keep doing it, and it will bear fruit. It will bear spiritual fruit. It will bear in this world fruit, and it will bear eternal fruit. Press on, brothers and sisters. You are part of an army of God.
God will bring about the increase. God will bring about the battle is his. Debbie and I don't have a battle in Ethiopia. The battle is his. Let's pray.